This morning, we have the blessing. If I can find the remote. Oh, Christine, could you please start a PowerPoint for me? It's, um, let me think of where it is. It may be in transfer to sound room. I don't think I put it on the desktop. And it'll say something about core, core spiritual values number nine. That is me running on the beach. That ponytail, I used to have that ponytail when I was younger. And um, I could still grow a ponytail. I'll tell you. It would look really funny, but I, but I could grow one. No. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I could do a mullet too. There are certain hairstyles that I could still do. A mullet and a ponytail, those are two of them. I could, do, I could not do a great mohawk, however. I could do a reverse mohawk. That's true. I've kind of got one now. John was wanting to say. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the privilege and blessing we have of being here together. And we pray you bless our time. Father, help us to see things in Scripture today that will touch our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our actions. We would look, Father, for you through your spirit to completely transform us through your word in in even some small incremental way. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. We have been going through the core spiritual values. As most of you are aware, I'm sure, when I say the core spiritual values, I'm talking about the core spiritual values that our church identified for itself uh, over a decade ago. And we talked, we have been talking now through eight of those. There are nine of them, and so today is the last one. And this one today has specifically to do with the expansion of the kingdom, which includes a lot more than just um, a kingdom parable. We will look at some kingdom parables today, but it means a lot more than that. In fact, it's interesting because I'm sure that when this statement was written about the expansion of the kingdom and our focus on it, there was not an awareness perhaps at that point just how big the idea of kingdom was going to become, uh, was going to become for the church At this point in time, like, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Maybe you are. Maybe you've sensed it in some things that we've done because we have been focusing a lot on the kingdom the last few years. But the notion of kingdom is just so much bigger, um, more present and at the forefront of the church's thinking, really, than it has ever been. Uh, Like, post-Reformation... You know, I, I don't. I guess we've talked about the fact that this is 500, 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation this year. Post-Reformation, the church tended to focus in the Protestant realm on justification by faith. That was that was the, like the guiding star of the Protestant church's justification by faith, and and I'm glad that it was. But it's interesting because that particular idea is a very Pauline kind of idea. Like you don't read justification by faith in any of the Gospels. Jesus doesn't talk about justification by faith. 
That's a Pauline idea. Uh, you won't really even find much of it in any of the biblical writers except for Paul. Uh, some in Peter. Um, but really, it's Paul who focuses on that. So if that's the case, what does Jesus focus on? And we historically, certainly in churches of Christ, have been a, a kind of Pauline-centered people or a church-centered people. So we read the book of Acts a lot and we read Paul a lot. We didn't focus as much on the Gospels. But when you read the Gospels, it's pretty hard to get away from the idea of kingdom. It is the center of what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was talking about. And so it's perfectly good and right that the Protestant evangelical church in the first part of the 21st century is really focusing on the notion of kingdom. And right now it is huge. Like sometimes I'll mention somebody like N.T. Wright. And uh, N.T. Wright is really huge into the idea of kingdom. And lots of other people are as well. Um, it's, It's a dominant idea. So I'm excited about the fact that we would have this dominant idea, which is so central, especially into the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom or, and the gospels. I, I'm so grateful that that's part of our core spiritual values because we, somebody had the foresight to say, this is really biblically huge. Uh, maybe even before we were even aware of, of the, the larger Christian community kind of saying those things. So that's what we're going to do this morning is look at the, the expansion of the kingdom and look at the biblical ideas behind this, or the biblical presentation of kingdom and just how core this is, especially in the teachings of Jesus. So first of all, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 1, 14 and 15, which has become a, a, a key text for those who would talk about kingdom. It is right at the beginning of the very first gospel. We are very sure that Mark was the first gospel written. So if Mark was the first gospel that was written, the first real words here about Jesus and his ministry, then to look at what the gospel of Mark places right at the forefront and focus of the teachings of Jesus has got to be key. And indeed it is. So you talk, first, this gospel starts uh, out and talks about the ministry of John the Baptist and then talks about the baptism and temptation of Jesus. And then Jesus is ready to start his ministry. In verse 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And the word for good news is gospel. It's the same word. The Greek word euangelion, which means to proclaim good news. It's where we get the word gospel. What's interesting is if I was to ask you, what is the gospel? You would probably do something like turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, and you would talk about how the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is not bad. Paul says that's the gospel. But here, Jesus uses the word gospel or good news to describe something else, actually. And I, the, what Jesus says and what Paul says are very closely related, and they greatly inform one another, but there's definitely a different kind of take on this or a different nuance. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. And here's what he says. The time has come, he said, 
The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Now again, what's interesting about that is that right now, at this point, when people are hearing that, there has been no cross. There has been no death. There has been no burial. There has been no resurrection. And Jesus says that he's come to proclaim the good news about the kingdom. Now the word kingdom is a great word, sometimes misconstrued. Because the word kingdom here does not refer to a a realm. This is not a body of people. You can't say kingdom equals church, church equals kingdom. Uh, That doesn't work in the New Testament. The word kingdom is much bigger than the church. And, in fact, there's a very verbal kind of idea in the word kingdom. We've talked about this before when we did this series on kingdom a couple of years ago. The word kingdom is is a very verbal kind of idea. It's not just a noun describing a realm or a place or a geographical location. It's actually describing the reign of God. And so it has some force to it, some dynamism. It's a dynamic kind of concept. So when Jesus says that he's come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, he's talking about a dynamic reign and presence of God that he is proclaiming. Now, as it turns out, he's going to seal all of that and bring it to fruition with his death on the cross. But the kingdom itself that Jesus proclaims is a dynamic, kind of filled with power movement more than it is a place or a realm or a group of people. Okay? And again, notice that Jesus starts out his ministry talking about this kingdom and he says, this is right, this is why I came. I've come to do this. Okay? Is to proclaim this kingdom. Now I want you to turn to Matthew 4.23 and you can look at 9.35 as well at the same time if you want. They're, they're virtually identical passages. We've talked about this several times so I won't spend a lot of time here. This is an inclusio. Which means that in the Gospel of Matthew, there is a beginning kind of statement about something, and then there is an ending kind of statement about something, and in between you find Jesus doing what we're talking about here. So look at 4.23 in the Gospel of Matthew, and it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, which is our our focus for the morning, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So that's what Jesus does. Clearly, Matthew is making some kind of summary statement about the ministry of Jesus. Now, as it turns out, what he's doing when he says that is he's preparing you for the next few chapters when Jesus does exactly those things. Then, if you look at Mark 9.35, it'll say virtually the same thing. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Same line, basically. And in between, that's what Jesus does. And Matthew's very intentional about trying to say, this is the ministry of Christ. And so he's, he's putting a focus to Jesus' activity here. And notice how central to that activity is the preaching of the good news of the kingdom. In fact, I would say that the teaching that goes on and the healing that goes on are simply indications of and are parts of the kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. 
So he inaugurates this new reign of God and he says, I'm going to be teaching, I'm going to be healing, I'm going to be preaching about this new reign. That's why I've come. And Matthew, again, makes that very clear by the way that he puts this into the the gospel of Matthew. Now I want you to look at Matthew 13. If you ever think to yourself, where are the parables of Jesus found? Well, two key places are Matthew 13 and Mark 4. And in Matthew 13, and we'll look at Mark 4 in just a second, there are several parables here, kingdom parables. And I won't read all of this, but uh, Matthew 13, verse 1 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Same. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred sixty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And then Jesus kind of goes through the parable again and explains to them everything about the parable. He talks about how all of this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, And then again, at the end of the parable, uh, verse 23, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Well, all of this is really about the kingdom. What Jesus has come, when he comes to announce the good news of the kingdom, is he's talking about God's powerful reign that brings into the lives of human beings a message about himself. And when this message comes into the world, which finds a reception in several different ways, sometimes it falls on rocky ground, and sometimes it's got rich soil, and sometimes the birds come and eat it, whatever. When this message of the kingdom comes, and it's fruitful, then it begins to produce a crop, and you get the sense of it's being an ascending kind of crop. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So there is, in fact, an expanding kind of notion with this coming of the kingdom that Jesus brings. Now I want you to look at verses 31-32. Go down to, not the next parable, but the one after that. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in the branches. And then notice 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... And and so Jesus tells a number of parables here about the kingdom. And again, notice the expanding of this kingdom, the growth of this kingdom, how the kingdom ends up taking over. It becomes the biggest thing going. But it starts with the ministry of Jesus. And so God intends for his dynamic reign, his power to have more and more influence in our world. That's what we're really talking about when we talk about the expansion. The influence of God in the world through 
the ministry that comes with Jesus. So Jesus and the Spirit are working as the hands of God in our world, doing dynamic things, and God just keeps expanding the influence of his will and his presence uh, within the world. Hopefully, reducing the amount of sin, bringing people to himself, causing dramatic changes in our world, things being completely different because the kingdom comes and kind of takes over is the idea. Now, again, some people would like to say, well, the kingdom here is simply the church, and the idea is the church is going to grow and grow and grow as we work evangelism. Well, that is a part of it for sure. There is some element within the kingdom of evangelistic growth and helping people to come to Jesus. But the idea of kingdom itself is much larger, much broader than simply helping to convert people for Jesus and helping them to become Christians. Okay, turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. I mentioned... Kingdom parables are in Matthew 13 and in Mark chapter 4. And so, 4.26. He also said this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernels uh, in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And so again, the idea here, this is not just evangelism. It doesn't say that. What it says is, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus is talking about this expansive reign of God, the presence of God, the influence of God in our world. And Jesus says it is a growing kind of concern. And in fact, God ultimately is the one who's responsible for bringing this kingdom into being and then for its growth and expansion. So already I think you can see that this is a huge element within the teachings of Jesus. Um, and that's kind of the first half here. Darlene's got a comment, and then we'll move on to something else. Go ahead. Oh. Oh yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I, I got myself into huge trouble once in Victoria because we decided that we were going to do a series on the kingdom. And so on our we used to put up a banner like this uh, that would kind of give the yearly theme for what we were going to study. And at the bottom of the banner, I had the words, Thy kingdom come. And one of the elders came after me, after, came up to me after we put the banner up and he said, you'll have to take that down. And I said, why? And he said, because the kingdom's already come. And I said, well, okay, I understand that. Like everybody talks these days and rightly so about the idea that the kingdom has both come and is not yet. It's got kind of a dual chronology there. The kingdom was certainly present in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus says as as much. He's, I mean, he says that, that the kingdom is at hand. It's there. At hand means close. It's right here. 
Um, and yet the kingdom was also to come. And so I recognize the fact that it did come, um, but there's still more to it to come. And he was not satisfied with that at all. He did not like the idea that we had a banner that said, Thy kingdom come, as if it had not yet come. So I said, okay, what am I going to do to fix this? <laughs> we already put the banner up. You know, sometimes preachers do things they have to apologize for later. So I put this up, and then, so I said, How, will it satisfy you if after that I put comma in its fullness? And he said, yeah, that'll work. He said, you can do that. So we now had a banner that said, thy kingdom come, comma, in its fullness, which was great, but that's not the Bible. That's not scripture. We actually took, we took something that was not scriptural and put it on our banner and substituted it for something that was scriptural. And that kind of bothered me <laughs> that we would do that. But the reason we did that was because just of what Darlene is saying. That, like you, you said you were taught you couldn't pray that. Right, like, like we couldn't say, thy kingdom come. We can, you know, we can't pray that anymore. Which is interesting because, of course, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, when he says that, he's actually teaching people to pray when he says that. He says, this is how you should pray, thy kingdom come. And I remember saying to this elder, I said to him, well, Jesus told us to pray that prayer. And he said, it was fulfilled. And so we prayed it for a bit, and then it was fulfilled. And I said, you mean that that's in the gospel of Matthew just for about... mm, a year and a half or something between the time that Jesus utters that and the time that the kingdom comes with the cross and his resurrection. And he said, that's right. Well, I would agree with you, Steve. I, I like, I, I would argue that the banner I put up the first time was a good one, but, but we had, uh, anyway, we had quite an, uh, an interesting time of that. And so the, the idea is that the kingdom does come in in a dual kind of way. The kingdom is no doubt present in the ministry of Jesus. There's no question about that. In fact, I'll show you something in just a second that, sh- that says that. Um, but then it's also true that, of course, the kingdom yet has to be fulfilled. We haven't reached the fullness of the times yet. There's so much more that needs to be done. And we work now in the present for the expansion of the kingdom. Now, part of that is to reach out with the good news to people around us and to help them see Jesus, to convert them for Christ. It's a very, it's got an evangelistic component to it for sure. Um, and, And maybe that's the biggest part of it. But there's so much more that needs to be done in our world in terms of just bringing the influence of God into this culture, this climate, this time. All of that is the influence of the kingdom. So when we feed people on Wednesday uh, at lunch, we're doing kingdom work. Uh, when we are uh, giving people the food at the door when they come for lunches or the pantry, that's kingdom work. If we go and help someone uh, fix their home on a work day in the spring, that's kingdom work. If we talk to somebody about Jesus and we help them to see who Jesus is and they're baptized into Christ and their life changes, that's kingdom work. All of that is bringing the influence of God into our world. Okay. Uh, Luke, four, uh, Luke four, fourteen. Turn there. 
Now, this text doesn't specifically use the word kingdom, but you tell me if this isn't what's going on. Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is right after his... Uh, temptation in the in the desert so he comes back he's full of the power of the spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside he taught in their synagogues oh that sounds familiar and everyone praised him he went to nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet isaiah was handed him unrolling it he found the place where it's written the spirit of the lord is on me Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what I would say is, is that when he was preaching good news to the poor and proclaiming freedom for the captives and all of that, that Jesus was preaching and proclaiming the kingdom. It's exactly what he's talking about. It's the influence of God in our world. And the text says that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's because the kingdom had come in the ministry of Jesus. His influence and presence was the kingdom. And wherever he was doing his thing, his ministry, was kingdom presence. And so it had indeed been fulfilled right then. I want you to turn to Matthew 11, uh, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Okay, we've seen this so many times now. That's what he's doing. And when he's preaching in the towns of Galilee, he's spreading the good news about kingdom. This is kingdom context. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And the reason that he asks that is because he's confused. John was there at his baptism. John saw the Spirit come down on Jesus. John knew this was Messiah. But Messiah is not acting like Messiah. So what is going on here? Am I confused? Are you the one? Are you not the one? Is there somebody else supposed to come? And John has been, at this point, arrested, not yet beheaded. And so he has sent messengers to Jesus saying, what is going on? I thought you were the one, but this looks a little funny to me. What's the story? And Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Okay, all of that is healing, just like 423 and 935. And then he says, and the good news is preached to the poor. So the kingdom is being preached. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And what Jesus has just said in so many words is, this is what the kingdom looks like. You're expecting this, and I'm bringing this. And let me tell you, John, this is 
kingdom. This is what I'm doing. I'm preaching the kingdom. I'm teaching in the synagogues. I'm healing. This is the kingdom stuff that I told you was at hand. And so John, hopefully now, gets the message from Jesus. Indeed, I'm here. I'm doing it. It's at hand. Rest confidence about the presence of the kingdom. Okay, Acts chapter 1, which I've mentioned so many times, I feel like I'm, I just keep going there, but I just love Acts chapter 1. I, like, since I came to Calgary, Acts chapter 1 has just meant so much more to me than it ever did before. And it's because of what I see there, just this crucial, crucial teaching. What are we doing here? Okay, I don't know what's going on. I've got nothing else coming up here on the screen, but it's Acts chapter 1, okay? Verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, and that's a, not just a throwaway line, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and, and look at the next few words. He appears to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God, which shouldn't surprise anybody because that's what he was talking about all the time. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's two major elements here that Jesus focuses on in Acts chapter 1 right at the beginning. The kingdom, which it says he spoke about, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is a key indication of that new kingdom. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, you can just feel like he's going, please, can you people not get it? I've been with you for so long. Like, just listen for a moment here. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the spirit is the, is another key sign for them that the Holy Spirit, or sorry, that the kingdom is present. The kingdom is there. And then he says, and you're going to be witnesses of all this. So Jesus, I think, just gave us a job to do, being witnesses of a kingdom, and in fact, an expanding kingdom, which is his influence and presence in our world. So, Holy Spirit, kingdom, witness, this is all very crucial stuff, and we find this in Acts chapter 1. Okay, and then turn to Mark 16. Yes? It's interesting in that passage you expressed that the this, this aspect of the common is it already come or is it going to come? Then the, the, whoever asked this question, when they gather around, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? They didn't see it as being restored. Right. So, <laughs> Yes. And they still have this struggle with it. Is it present or is it coming? Sure. Well, and just like John the Baptist, 
Like, even though it was right in front of them, and he had so often showed them the things about the kingdom, spoken of the kingdom, I think tried to, to help them understand the kingdom, they still didn't get it. And in fact, in terms of the fulfillment, they're still looking for something to be fulfilled too. So even if they think the kingdom has begun, they're still looking for some kind of fruition to this. Namely, they want a political solution to the problem with Rome. But they're not going to get that. Jesus says, no, you know, that's, that's not what my kingdom is all about. You know, that's why Peter takes out the sword, whacks off the guy's ear before Jesus is crucified because he thinks, here we go. The revolution has started. And Jesus says, that's not my kingdom. You don't get it. And they still don't get it. So they're asking this question, again, quite confused, really, about what Jesus has in mind. Does that answer your question? Did, did I answer your question? Okay, yeah. Trinity and how we talk to the Holy Spirit versus Jesus versus the Father. We will struggle with that probably all of our lives. Yeah, I would agree. And the kingdom certainly is a lofty enough, spiritual enough kind of idea that it's difficult for us to just totally get our minds wrapped around it. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Um, Jesus said that Satan was still going to reign on the earth until he comes again. So when God's kingdom, when he initiated God's kingdom coming back, it wasn't in his fulfillment until he comes again and that's right there yeah there absolutely is a is a fulfillment yet to come um, like any kind of power or reign that that satan would have and i hesitate to use that language but any kind of influence that he has is absolutely provisional uh, he knows his time is going to be cut short. It's limited. There are certain things he just can't do. Uh, and that's because Jesus is in, at that point, already in control. And it's, you know, the kingdom has already been launched. Uh, it's then going to be a, a total triumph at the end. Okay, Mark uh, 16 and 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Again, Jesus says this. Now, post-resurrection... And so there's an argument to be made that the good news that's being preached is going to conclude now the, the message about him. Uh, but, but he's still very much interested in having them preach the good news, the gospel now to all creation. And then uh, just look quickly at Matthew 28 and then we'll be done here. At the very end, the Great Commission... Verse 18 in Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Clearly, even though the word gospel is not there, the word uh, preaching is not there, the word kingdom is not there, but this is so much a part of what's now happening, and it's a direct parallel to Mark 16. That Jesus now expects his followers to have a role in announcing this kingdom and helping people to become followers of this king. So he's now the king who is now, now ascended to be with God in heaven, still worthy of, obviously, of our worship and praise. And then we have a responsibility in carrying out the work that Jesus himself had done by taking this good news into the world in his place. And it's, he says, lo, I'm with you always. 
His Spirit is present with us for sure in terms of us taking the good news uh, to the world and broadening and expanding this presence and role of the kingdom. So the fact that we have the kingdom as one of our core spiritual values, I love. I think that is such a theologically centered, biblically centered, biblically defined identity for our church. And I'm just excited that that's who we are. Um, next week, Kevin's going to talk a bit more about this expansion of the kingdom, uh, maybe some more practical things. But there, I think, is a solid biblical foundation for the truth about the centrality of the kingdom and its expansion in the life of the church. Thank you very much.